my daughter, she told me she had traumas. And, you know, that took me aback because I'm like, how do you have traumas? Right, like, right, right. We're up here in Brookhaven right now. <laughs> and we've been a suburban kid. We use Sherman. <laughs> right? Microphone check. Does my mic sound nice? Uh. Yes, it does. Welcome to this week's episode of It's About Damn Time, where we change the narrative by changing the perspective. I'm Jared Dam, and it's about damn time to have another conversation that changes the way you think and perceive things. The only question is, are you ready? Welcome to this week's episode of It's About Damn Time. I am Jared Dam back in the building. This is episode 101. Yes, yes, 101. I'm very excited about that to start the new journey to like the road to 200. So whether you've been here for episode one or this is your first episode at 101, let me tell you what this is exactly. It's About Damn Time is a self-discovery podcast. It's my journey to build a better me and I'm taking y'all along for the ride. I like to have these conversations with people just to change people's perspectives, change how they do things and help you help you build a better you as well while you ride with me. So without any further ado, I'm here with my good friend, Stephanie. Stephanie Perkins, you, I'm going to tell you something personally that I hadn't told you about you. Okay. Um, so, so me and Stephanie have been friends for a while. We used to work together. And the one thing that I can always remember about Stephanie is that she was always kind to me, even when I wasn't kind to myself. And during that time frame, I probably wasn't as kind to myself as I could have been. And, and always, always um, kind, offering, you know, words of encouragement and probably has the, the, the greatest smile in all of Georgia. Uh, Stephanie Perkins, ladies and gentlemen. My friend. Thank you. Thank strong J, strong J, strong J. Thank you so much. I am very excited to be a part of this episode. Very excited to speak to you. And I hope that we could be vulnerable together and people take nuggets from this conversation and, and carry it with them on their day to day. Absolutely. You're very kind to me in that introduction. So I appreciate it. Oh, you know, you know, you know, Steph, you know, I gotta, I gotta, you know, give you the vibes. You know, you gave me, you give me positive vibes. I gotta give you the vibes back. I appreciate that. And I, and I feel like we're going to need it for this conversation because Mm -hmm. this week we're, we are, we are discussing, you know, how to get rid of that toxic family member, especially when it's, um, in regards to keeping your own mental health stable and, you know, it was difficult for for me to even just to admit this right now mm-hmm. that my toxic family member was my dad. And, you know, my dad just recently passed away. So, you know, you don't you don't really speak ill of the dead. And so, you know, you, you always want to remember people positively. And, and I do. And I do. And I've talked about it on this podcast before. But it's it just it's just something different when you when you remember how vulnerable you were and how much you were hurt. Mm-hmm. When I'm when I'm when I'm talking to him, I would I would literally before his birthday and and on Father's Day, I would get nervous because I, I knew I had to talk to him. Yes. Yes. And so and so it's, it was just like and I remember one time the last time I actually saw him, it was 
a dinner for my my kid's sister and mm-hmm. he was there and i freaked out the entire day like i was i was, I was like damn near hyperventilating yeah just because of the fact that i had to kind of deal with him and and, mm-hmm. and if you saw us like together interacting you would have thought that we were great we fed off of each other but in, in our actuality it's, it's it just was really rough so tell me for starters what you know who who is that family member for you and, and how and how initially they, they made you feel so to be honest, I have several. <laughs> like it feels like that. It's like that sometimes. And for me, I will tell you my household growing up, it was my mother and my sister and I, and it was very, you know, my mother was a single mom. And unfortunately, some of her childhood trauma screwed over to me in our household, my upbringing. And so Believe it or not, it, it was my it's my mom that I have to be very careful with how I move around her. I have to be very careful on being in her presence because I, I don't think people understand how difficult it is to have a parent that brings that type of energy to you because you look at those individuals as your heroes. You look at them as your, your first teachers, you know. You're taught to love, respect, honor your parents at all times, no matter what. There's a lot of generational traumas that come down through that. And so it's definitely my mother who I have had to do the most work in terms of creating boundaries for myself so that I can be healthy in that relationship or in her presence. But I want to definitely extend my condolences to you. And um, I truly understand what it's like to have that feeling of anxiety around a particular person that triggers you just from their sight because it takes you back to, you know, painful times. Yeah. But I'm so glad that you're able to, you know, talk through that. I go lie to you, it's hard. <laughs> it's, it's hard. And I, and I think because people think that, you know, you know, I have a platform as a podcast and they're like, oh, mm-hmm. you're, you're so brave. But every time I'm vulnerable, it, it's it's scary. Like it, it doesn't matter if I've if I've done it, you know, the first time or, or the ten thousand time. Mm-hmm. It's definitely scary. I kind of want to go back to something that you mentioned. Okay. You know, it was your mom's own tra- childhood traumas and everything yes. that kind of shaped that to to be that family member that you needed yes. to set boundaries for that was almost a, a toxic to a point. And I I think I find that very interesting because same way with my with my father. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it was like, you know, circumstances as far as how he was born. And it was it was like a little controversy there, like family drama and, you know, outside extra marital affairs and, and things of that nature. And it's a small town. So people are talking mm-hmm. and he felt isolated. Like it was mm-hmm. like a black sheep mm-hmm. where not really accepted by my, my quote unquote grandfather that all I knew for most of my life as, but also that that family his biological for you know they was cool with him but the but the older people didn't want mm-hmm. him to do with that so mm-hmm. it shaped the way how he he kind of fed us with a long wooden spoon and in, in, in only the only time that he kind of wanted us up until a certain point i think he really connected with my with my kid's sister after that and they had a bond mm-hmm. that i wish that all of us had with him right. but i think he he you know it was almost like that communication, like I'm gonna bring you in when I when I need you for you know different things of the nature with things that I'm trying to do, but not necessarily trying to. You should come to me. I, I'm the father. You should come to me. And uh, so, what was that 
did you have like a similar experience with that or it was or, or, or was how was that how did you have to face those traumas with, with like your mom so my mom was one of four for my grandmother my grandmother was a young mom and my mother and her siblings went through a lot you know they were not taught how to properly love they weren't taught how to communicate they were taught how they were brought up in survival right and so there was the foundation that my mother grew out of i mean she she was she was kicked out of her house like 16 17 years old she you know certain things certain way between her and her mother, the way they communicated with each other, my mother immediately thought that was the right way. That's how you do things. This is how you communicate. You know, when I turned 18, 17, 18 years old, I was kicked out of the house. Wow. Well, a lot of the things that she endured as a child, she thought was normal. And so that in turn, as her, when she became a mother, it's like, okay, if, if I said one, if I say it this way, this is how it goes. And if you say something back, you know what I'm saying? We're going to have an issue. Mm-hmm. Or it could be that, or it could be, you know, like I said, being kicked out or, you know, one thing that she did do, and I don't want to make this to be a, a bashing of my mom because she did the best she could with what she had. Absolutely. But one thing she did do was she made it, the thing that was absent most for her in her childhood is the sacrifice that she didn't see from her mom. So from her mom to her, there was no sacrifice. Her, My grandmother's kids took the brunt of all of her decisions. When it came to me and my sister, from my mom, my mom made sacrifices. So in her mind, I'm, I'm a leg up. I'm doing it much better, right? But then we don't touch on all the other traumas that you have not healed from. Mm-hmm. And so although, yes, you were sacrificial, but it came with a price. So... With that being said, when I was 18, I was kicked out of the house. I actually moved out, had my own apartment, and I had a tragic experience being that young and in my own apartment that I moved back. But then within three months, because it was already programmed in my mom's mind, you're you're an adult, Stephanie, and it's time for you to grow up. And so she kicked me out. She kicked me out. And, um, and so I remember that feeling, number one, I would never do this to my child. So that was that life lesson from her that she had, you know, that trauma she got from her mom, she did to me. And for me, I knew immediately, this is hard. I'm never going to do that. And so it started that point since I was 18. That's where it started. It started with, like I said, the communication my mom did not get to experience high school like typical high schoolers. So when I went off to college, I mean, excuse me, when I went off to proms and I was in the band dancing and doing all these things, she was, there was a sense of jealousy there. Be, there was a sense of jealousy there because she's like, oh, I never got a chance to go to prom and oh, I never had a chance to do this. And you look at you, you're doing this, right? So now it's Stephanie is doing this and it's better than me. And now I have a problem with it. So as I grew up and started to, you know, experience life a little differently, I and, I, and I'm going to take a step back to Jared to kind of touch on something. When I was 13 years old, I was in 13, 14 years old. I met my best friend. That's my best friend today. And she was like a breath of fresh air. 
I was living in a house that had a lot of toxic it, things going around, whether there was drugs, there was, um, my sister was four and a half years older than me. So she had boys coming in and out of our house. I remember like being locked out of the house for hours, just, just a lot of, it was just bad. It was bad for me. So I made a very adult decision and decided to leave. And I went to my best friend's house and I stayed with her and I would go over to my mom's house maybe once a week, like on the weekends, but Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, I was over there. Well, I would go weeks at a time before I would visit my mom. Mm-hmm. And I would tell you just making that decision, it caused more tension between me and my mom. Cause then she started to feel like, well, now you're choosing someone over me right. when really I was trying to escape the environment. Mm-hmm. So that caused us to clash a lot. And to this day, we still, you know, it's still uneasy to talk about. So nevertheless, I grow up, I become an adult. And again, just trying to do away with some of the traumas that were put on me and just trying to figure out how do I navigate with this person? How do I, the person I love, right? Because me and my mom, we were like best friends when I was really, really young. I stayed under my mom, but now she's becoming somewhat like an enemy towards me. So it's like, how do I, how do I navigate life when I love this woman so much, but I can't trust her? I love this woman so much, but I can't call her and ask her for help. You see what I'm saying? I can't, you know, so I dealt with a lot of that. And I will tell you just over the years, I've had to go to counseling Mm. and I had to figure out why is our why why is the relationship between me and my mom so challenging? Right. Why was she pointing me against her? She would point me against me, her, my sister. So I was pinned against both of them, right? Because I chose I chose a different route for life, and so I had to go to counseling and seek help and understand and try to process that because I had friends all around me that had loving mothers. Yeah. Best friend whose house I moved into, her mom loved me like I was her own child, but I couldn't get that from my biological mom. Right. So I started counseling. I started counseling. I'm I am, I am glad you, that you brought up counseling in, in a couple of things that I got from there that that just kind of rings true. One, when you when you are in a traumatic situation, especially growing mm-hmm. up, mm-hmm. I think I think it's I always say that there is like a fork in a road and you choose mm-hmm. your own adventure. Mm-hmm. It's either you're going to emulate that toxic behavior, which mm-hmm. is, you know, essentially w- what your mom did. She mm-hmm. took that path to the left. You took that path to the right where you want to do the complete opposite because yes. you couldn't stand it. And growing up in a house that that, that also had, a, you know, some toxicity to it as well, you know, and just in regards to, some of the choices that my mom made. Shout out to my mom. I know she's listening. Mm-hmm. Love you, mama. You know, that's back then when you were sick. You know what I mean? Like, that's when we do the air quotes for sick. Right. But, um, but and she knows. We, we've had these conversations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, during that time frame, it, it, you you could easily go to that that path towards the left mm-hmm. and, and, and choose that because it's easier. It's more accepted mm-hmm. in the household. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's less conflict. Mm-hmm. All these things. Yep. Or you choose like this is a little too much for me. I can't do it, and you cho- and you actually choose yourself. You create a healthy distance that we're going to talk about a little later on from this article. But you created a healthy distance, 
And it's amazing how much strife that causes for you picking you and not going with what the norm, what the family is, yes. is doing. Yes, 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 yes. I am so happy you brought up choose you because that's what it is. It's truly about choosing you to this day. I literally am choosing myself to this day. Like it, you know, I go in and out of relationships and, you know, whether it's family members or whether it's friends or who, you know, just different relationships, but it's me being very conscious that I'm choosing myself and I'm being kind to myself along this journey. But it's something else. You are often, you become a black sheep. It's what it is when Mm -hmm. you start to choose yourself. And I will tell you, I live nothing like, my family. I was just thinking that my my cousin, my cousin mm-hmm. Yoka, she is she. You know, you had the black sheeps that are like, oh man, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. this this one's gonna be doing the most. He's gonna be doing this. Oh my god! And then yeah. you had a black sheep to just just march to the beat of her own drum, yeah, and that's Yoka. Exactly. She be saying no with the quickness. Like she, like I hadn't learned the art of saying no yet. I'm I'm still working on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that heifer that mastered it. Like. <laughs> Like, she's like, I'm not doing that. No. What? It's like in a in a complete statement, a whole sentence. There's no, there's no explanation. There's no, well, if you know it's cut this come up, she's like, nah, I'm not doing that. And then and then turn her head and keep moving. So that's exactly that's how my daughter is. She, is, <laughs> she has that level of strength that I do not have. And I will tell you, a- after submitting myself to the relationship, right, to my mom or just being in her presence and something would happen that would trigger us to fall out. And generally it's her way of thinking, mm-hmm. right? And this last time, and this is, I want to be sure that we t- touch on this, this last time happened last October. My mom was in a, a critical car accident and I literally was there every step of the way. You know, because no matter what you go through, you know what I mean? You you kind of put the BS to the side, if you will. Exactly. Because at this point, it's more about me being a daughter to her at the end of the day, despite what our differences are and how we view life. Absolutely. And so I went through the journey of, you know, taking her to an appointment, seeking every type of counsel, you know, healing, grocery shopping. I would drive 20 miles just to walk her dog. Like I did everything, grocery shop, medication, bathe her, clean her house, everything. And it took about six or seven months for her to recover. But after her recovery, she made a couple statements that was very, it knocked the wind out of me. It was very difficult to process. And that sent me into depression. Like you would not believe because it was a couple things. One Every tool that I had kind of learned over the years since I was 18, every tool, every wall I built up, in order to be her caregiver, I had to tear those walls down. I had to put myself in her shoes. I had to be vulnerable. I had to let her in. I had to, she told me she loved me. I had to believe that she was really feeling, you know, had those emotions for me. So in order for me to care for her and as a good daughter, I had to break all the walls down, but that was scary as I don't know what, because I knew who I was dealing with. At the same time, I'm thinking, okay, this is near death. Maybe, maybe she'll change. Well, seven months later, we were back at it. And that sent me straight into depression. And I felt, I went into depression for a few 
reasons. One, I felt that I was being taken advantage of. I also felt that I wasn't appreciated, obviously. And then two, I had forgiven her. I had forgiven her for a lot of things that she, you know, put, you know, a lot of things that happened in the past. And so this time around, when I went into depression, Jared, I could not breathe. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't do anything. I, I told my, I told my daughter, I said, Maya, I said, I am in a space where I am talking to you, but I don't know what I'm saying. And I could not formulate my words to make it make sense. And she, my daughter would say, well, I could tell something is off. I said, Maya, I'm in depression. I said, I, I can work, but after, and I will be bubbly as ever doing work, Jared. But as soon as five o'clock hit, 501, I'm back depressed. And I literally, this time around, I had to kind of, I had to every day, it took me maybe a good, it took me almost like a month or so, at least about six or seven weeks to come out of it. It was bad. And I got on the phone with a a therapist and I, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, what can I do at this point? Because now I've proven that I'm a good daughter. I've proven that I will put you first before myself. I've proven to be successful, which every parent wants for their child, right? I've proven to be a good mom. I've proven all these things. I've tried to tap dance to see if she could just love me differently, right? And none of that worked. And so this time around, I had to pray and ask God. I was literally in my closet in my bedroom and I was on my knees and I was praying and asking God to please remove the spirit of forgiveness from my heart just temporarily it, it just in this moment because I knew that because I've done all of this hard work and sacrificed everything to just be there and care for her and it wasn't appreciated I didn't want her to be able to come back around and say Stephanie I'm sorry and then I'm back submitting myself to a very toxic situation so I asked God to take it away Take it away, take it away every day for six weeks, six or seven weeks. I'm not, and I'm not lying. I asked God to take the spirit of forgiveness away. And I would try to eat, couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, all of that. And I remember I spoke with this, the, my, my therapist and she said, well, Stephanie, you're doing the right thing. You're choosing yourself. You're setting the boundaries. I blocked her, blocked blocked every number I knew, you know, just really kind of shut down. I didn't, I did not give that an opportunity to have a conversation to set boundaries. It was choosing me and that was the boundary, right? Right. And so the first thing that she did was reach out to my, no, she texted me from my iPad, which I didn't have an iPad number. And the first letters that, that popped up on my screen is Stephanie, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I'm going to go to counseling. All of these, the things that she know that I wanted her to do. Right. Right, right, right. That right. was the trick. She was like, I'm going to go to counseling. I'm going to fix me. I know I got some stuff going on, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no. Because I'm like, I'm like three, four weeks in and I've asked God to forgive it. So it didn't phase me. And I was very proud of myself because I'm like, nope. I knew you was going to come back with an apology and I don't want your apology. I just got to have a peace of mind at this time. And so I will tell you just learning new tools for me. I was able to kind of get stronger day by day. And, you know, even though I had no contact with her for a while, 
I think I even shared this with you in a, in just conversation you and I have it on the phone is that I want people to understand how important it is when you do recognize that someone can trigger you and take, you know, and kind of almost have power over you. Right. And I think it's important for people to kind of take a step back and, and, you know, really call it out. If, if someone can really change the way you feel and think and move in life, then that person is not good for you. But not only that is that you start to heal heal yourself and start to create distance from that individual. And where I was going in terms of the tools is, I think for me, therapy allows me to look at the circumstance, not as just the trauma or this has happened to me, is more of an opportunity for me to kind of execute on some of the things I learned. So it's like, I'm not looking at it as face value, like, oh, this person spoke to me disrespectfully. It's more so like, ah, I feel disrespected. I'm going to respond this way. Exactly. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. So it's like you don't see, you don't feel the disrespect. You just notice this disrespect there. And then you start to, you start to respond to it differently. And so that's what helps me. You know, I I think, I think this is really good. And I I appreciate you sharing that story Mm -hmm. right here on, on the show, because yeah, we did talk about it before. And I, and I, and I think, what a lot of people miss is that they're, and I think you said it really at the top, generational trauma, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's a cycle, and unless someone's willing to break that cycle by yep. by going to therapy, because even worst case scenario, if mm-hmm. if you just if you just identify that that I don't like that, and you just stop talking, and that was it, mm-hmm. it's it's there's still drama that you're there's still mm-hmm. stuff that you're carrying. Yes. And it, that, could, that could carry over to your relationship with your daughter yes. and, you know, maybe indirectly in, in unforeseen ways. But yes. you're taking a step to sit there and go through therapy. And I hate that you struggled, you know, that part last year with, with depression. Mm-hmm. There is a real big link to generational trauma and depression, which is why we, you know, we always talking to, you know, especially black people. Mm-hmm. You know how we are with, mm-hmm. when it comes to therapy mm-hmm. to go to therapy and it's yeah. not going to it's not going to be a magical button that you're going to have one or two conversations with this person mm-hmm. and they oh i'm fixed nope. you know you got to do the work you got to be there and 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 so i can appreciate you you know you doing that because with me going to my going to my therapist when i first started going to therapy mm-hmm. i think one of the things that i i did not want to do that I had to end up doing was I didn't want to be that person that oh, I blame my parents. Oh, my parents are the reason for this. And, you know, cause that's what you see on, on TV. When you look, when you see when people on therapy, it's the parents fault, you know, throw away theories and all the other stuff. That's mm-hmm. the mom fault. That's, that's the idea. I'm a grown man. Mm-hmm. The, the issue is if it's, if it's undealt with trauma that happens in your childhood, your inner child hasn't been healed. So it so it still is there. Now, is it their fault? You know, I think you go you're gonna face trauma in mm-hmm. anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, in, we see the trauma that we had. You know, in our you know war, and I I know both of us as as parents, mm-hmm. we make we try to make sure that we don't repeat those same mistakes. Mm-hmm. But but again, we're still human, so we probably caused them some sort of trauma, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh. And it's important. It's important to recognize that. Mm-hmm. And, but it's also important to create that avenue where, Hey, go to therapy. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's, let's talk, open the communication. So mm-hmm. 
it's it's that part of just uh you know addressing it and going for and 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 making sure that the next generation um doesn't face the same thing. So I I so before we we start getting really deep in 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 how to eliminate stuff, and I'm gonna go through this article. I know you did it a different way, which you had to based on your story. Oh, I love your story. I love that you told this. But before we get into that, I want to I want to ask you something while we talk about the next generation and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what steps are you doing to, to ensure that your daughter that, that that generational trauma stops here with you and it, and it doesn't move forward? For sure. Therapy is one. <laughs> Therapy is one. Therapy is one. We have honest conversations. I will tell you, I'm going to tell another quick story, Jared, and then I'm going to finish answering your questions on what we do today between me and Maya and my daughter. Um, when my daughter was, because I was hurt from my mom, mm-hmm. when my daughter was maybe five years old, I realized emotionally that I had a hard time hugging my daughter because that mother-daughter relationship for me was traumatized, Right. And it was, I had an aha moment one night when my little five-year-old daughter walked in my room, and I'm sorry if you heard the dog, but when my little five-year-old daughter walked in my room and she kissed me goodnight, and she said, goodnight, mommy. And I thought, I was like, oh my God, why is she coming in my room, tucking me in (laughs) versus me being the parent going to her room, tucking her in? Right. And so I realized, wait a minute, have I been desensitized a little bit? Am I emotionally available for this little baby? Because I, you know, I'm just kind of going around, going about life as is, but my daughter required more physical touch. She required more kisses and affirmations and all of that. Whereas I was grew up in survival. So I was kind of tough and guarded and like shield, right? And so that was the first trigger for me to say, I got to go to therapy and I'm going to take my daughter to therapy. And I wanted to make sure I was being a good mom. So I allowed my little daughter to talk to someone and just kind of see how she was feeling and make sure I wasn't indirectly impacting her in our relationship as mother and daughter. So it started very early and I truly believe in therapy. So now speed it back up to where we are today. So we have very honest conversations and I don't shield what I know and what I don't know. I think my daughter understands because she is 18 and I don't want, I'm not kicking the first generational curse I I broke was not kicking my daughter out at 18. Right. That's number one. Right. The second generational curse is just teaching her. I've taught her just about Well, communication was one. Even though I've taught her to communicate, you know what I've taught her? I've taught her how to stand up for herself. So the indirect trauma that you just talked about, like how our parents talk to us and we try to do our best to guard our kids. Mm -hmm. Well, even though I'm conscious of what I could possibly have within me, some of that still came out. So Maya actually taught me how to communicate to her when she was like 15, 16. I used to have an attitude of, because I'm not, I don't think I know it all, but I think I'm pretty smart and I think I can save you a lot of pain and trauma because of what I've gone through, right? Exactly. And so my daughter, she told me she had traumas. 
And you know, that took me aback because I'm like, how do you have travels? Right, like, right, right. We're up here in Brookhaven right now. <laughs> and we've been a suburban kid. We use Charmin. Travels, <laughs> 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 right? <laughs> Listen, you know what I'm saying? We got crest. But she, she was like, I have traumas. And I'm like, how? Like, <laughs> we had that conversation and she stands up for herself. And I was to say, you know, even though I have done my best to safe net her, right? some of that still came out at some point. And so one of the things, like I said, she taught me how to uh, communicate to her. And one of the things I took from my mom that I didn't know uh, that I took from her is just being way too assertive. And way to, you know, if I say this is what it is, this is what it's going to be, that type of mentality, uh-uh. Mike said, no, ma'am. <laughs> no, no, we're not, <laughs> like, not going to be able to do that. So this is how, if you want to, if you want me, if you want to get these things out of me, this is how I need you to deliver that. And so she basically taught me how to be very soft. I had to kind of tear some of that armor off, mm -hmm. be very delicate in my message to her. And I had to, um, because she since she's more sensitive than me. Mm -hmm. So I had to be very delicate and I had to just make sure that I was respecting her at all times in our conversation. And not that I'm the mom and I know it all. And the way I say it is the way it's going to be is like, how do you feel about this? I'm asking those questions to make sure I get her buy-in. And I know most parents are saying, well, you know, that's not the way. But honestly, I had to start talking to her softly, incorporating her opinion and her thoughts and her feelings and making sure she felt valued right. and right. being able to share her opinions, feelings or what, or, you know, or whatever it was. So we have conversations. We do therapy. Like I said, broke the generational curse. She's 18 today, turning 19. She still lives with me. She's getting ready to go to college. And that's going to be, she'll be downtown or at my house, whichever way she chooses to do. It, my house, my home is always going to be open to her. Right. And we've breaking financial generational curses. I, we've taught about credit and understanding, you know, how important it is to take care of your name and, and your reputation. Um, so we've talked about a lot of things, but I will tell you the probably the most important ones is when you don't feel okay be open and honest and if you need to speak to someone i'm going to get somebody you can speak to i just want her to always you know we have that relationship where we could talk about just about anything no matter if it's her honesty or her feedback to me mm -hmm. i think a lot of times in our generations we didn't have an opinion right. well in my household my daughter definitely has an opinion I like that because I, I like that it is a approach that we've taken for our kids that our parents never would have did and never did do. And again, not it's not, a, it's not bashing the parents. It's just they did the best that they could based upon what, what they had and what was presented to them. I think we, we just kind of looked at things differently and started making, you know, different, different changes. So um, Maya for you, Brooklyn for me, like she, like she has so much say so. Mm -hmm. in her life and everything and I and I want to be be open to it or or be still her parents and be like hey you know if something's completely wrong and nah you ain't doing that <laughs> yes absolutely but but you but it's almost it's almost like like work for example mm -hmm. you you know you you know like for work 
the best way to 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 get buy in from 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 the employees if you're in a manager position is to sit there and help them ha- have them help come up with the idea. Because right. if I just if I just pull some pull some stuff out of my ass, I'm like <laughs> that ain't gonna work. I ain't, I ain't doing that. This, this is stupid. It's gonna be done in two weeks. But if you had that employee buy in, then you're like. Then they're they're going to they're going to sit there and go go into it. It's it's going to be better. It's the same thing with parenting. It's the same thing. We are a team. We are a team. We yeah. are a team. And what I say doesn't have to go. But help me understand how you know we can come to an agreement. And I'm not saying fold as a parent as far as guidance and you know what I'm saying making sure they're making appropriate decisions. That's not what I'm saying because you're always going to have the authority, right? You are who you are. But we don't abuse. I don't abuse my authority. So I get her buy in. I get her opinion. And I say, you know what? That makes sense. And I would tell you just in that, because once I started communicating more delicately with her, she feels more comfortable. We could talk. Like I said, we could talk about anything because, you know, we're a team. Exactly. And Brooklyn actually helped shape how I was going to talk to her, like how 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 I talked to her as well, Mm -hmm. because even growing up. Like as she was born, mm-hmm. my my mindset was to be the stereotypical dad. Mm-hmm. Like you know, what you doing talking to my daughter? Like you know that the the, the mean the mean yeah. dad and everything. Yeah. And I was, that's what I was gonna do. I'm not I'm not picking up no 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 tampons or no or no maxi pads. I'm not doing that. You no. This this is what we doing. I'm I'm a man. And so yeah. that was. That was what I had in my head. I was like, "Yeah, I'm about to kill it." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm about to kill it. And and what happened was, I've always been this person that adapts to you know to different things. When I see when I see you know everybody has their certain individual roles, and I see that this role is missing, I just kind of slide mm-hmm. to that role to kind of help overall for the team. It's it's always been one of the things that I did. Mm-hmm. And so Brooklyn's mom was all was. These boys ain't talking to her, you know, and, and hardcore and, and this and that. So I was like, oh, crap. Man, I got to be like the communicator and, and, and talk and ask her about her feelings. And and be a, and then, you know, who was the first parent she talked to when, when she got a cycle? It was dad. Dad. <laughs> who was she calling four o'clock in the morning when she having cramps that, that first day? It's dad. Dad wakes up, rubs his eyes and talks to her for hours. So I was like. Man, I did not see this coming at all. <laughs> and that's beautiful. That's beautiful because that's what you want. Yeah. That's what you that's all we could ask for. And um it's just keep creating a healthy space for her, a safe space. I could talk to my dad about anything. You know I, I mean? and I love that. I love the fact that she can talk to me about anything, whether it's what she wants to eat for lunch today or, you know, her business, you know, she does a baking business or she's like, you know, what should my brand colors be? Or even she talk, you want to sit there and talk to me about boys and like, boys are weird. Maybe they sure are. They are sure are. Keep that same energy. (laughs) They are. Yep. That is so cool. Good. 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 I love that. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to transition to this house to set, um, boundaries with difficult family members. This, mm-hmm. It was a, it was an article in the New York Times, and mm-hmm. um, this this um, this writer actually consulted very well known therapist, uh, Negro Glover Tawab. I know I'm probably messing up your name. I'm sorry, I'm from Louisiana. I'm country. Uh, that's what it's what we do. <laughs> so with that being with that being said, I wanted to kind of look at some of these things from this article and just kind of talk to you about mm-hmm. it again. I know that. 
based upon your story, especially with your mom, you kind of you kind of had to do it in a different way, right. which I can applaud. But now knowing now how you've you've learned mm-hmm. to set boundaries and everything, mm-hmm. and since you you did say you have a few more people that you you know maybe you can help some of us out who still struggling with some of these toxic people in mm-hmm. our lives. So one of the things it says on here is decide what a successful relationship looks like to you, mm-hmm. and I think that's really important because i don't think we really think about that i don't think i don't think we really consider what a successful relationship looks looks so so what does that look like to you that's a very good question the reason why it's different for us is because we don't have a whole lot of examples Mm -hmm. yeah right yeah and so for me what i would think is a successful relationship is between two people or just well, yep, to people, communication, having open communication is key. Mm-hmm. Not being being kind, but not being basically having open dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. And you have people that are gonna be honest with you. Yeah. Right. You gotta have good people that are not going to tear you down. But you got to be extremely careful not to have yes men around you. Right. So it's just having people that can, you know, that may not be on the same level as you, but that you can talk to, that you can, that you can pour into someone that can pour into you and focused on keeping you aligned. Right. So if, if we're having, if we're in a relationship, Jared, and I've shared with you, you know, here are, here are my traumas. You know, you being, you know, my partner, I would expect for you to understand, not only understand that, but just in your way of handling me, it will be with that and with the integrity and with understanding, you know, I want to make sure she feels safe. Absolutely. I want to make sure that she knows that I'm not going to, and it's not something that you dwell on, but it's, it's just how you, it's just how you take care of that person. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to make sure you're not putting that person in a in uncompromising situations that could cause them to get nervous or cause them to have anxiety or cause them to feel overwhelmed. But just looking for someone that truly, truly understands, that can communicate, that is willing, right? You got to have a willing, willing person that is willing to kind of go through life or go through the hurdles of you know, the hurdles of life with you, whether it's best friends or, or whomever, but just people that are positive. I think for me, one of the things that I have in my family that we deal with is there's a lot of tension on, like I said, it's a lot of pinned up, you know, this generation against that generation. Right. And so one of the things that we, you know, my cousins like our, that we focus on is we focus on just, just, congratulating each other and bringing each other up. It's more so just focused on, we're not focused on the things that don't matter. You know, we don't spend any time in that space. We focus on how are you doing? How are you sleeping? How are you eating? You know what I'm saying? You want to, you know, you want to go to a concert because Stephanie loves music. So I got a cousin that invites me to concerts all the time. And it's like, just knowing that that's going to feed my soul and that's going to keep me on the up and up. And then in turn, I do the same thing for them. Right. You know I, what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, that's very important. That's very important. Mm-hmm. I, for me, it, it, it comes to basically one word. It's my favorite word in the English language. What is it? Reciprocity. 
There because, you go. Because for for me, I know I I know that I'm a people pleaser. I know mm-hmm. that I'm a I know I'm a giver. I'm not asking people to go out and be Jerry people pleasing type. That's right. crazy. Right. I'm I'm trying to work on not doing this. So I don't need you yeah. to do that. <laughs> but but I but I, what I do want you to do is, is match my energy. And if, and if yes. you're and if you're not if you are a constant, you know, taker. And, you know, and, and so, but, and, and maybe you're having, maybe you're having some issues where it's, okay, I, I, I had this going on at work and I'm not feeling well and I got to get ready for, for this trip and I got to sit there and do this. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's a lot of stuff where, you know, Jerry has to be that person to, to kind of hold you down. Mm-hmm. If I have some things going on with me, if I have a networking event that I got to go to and I'm a complete introvert. <laughs> and so it's, it's, and so I, I I need about two drinks right. and a and a and anxiety medicine to, to sit there and get me there so I can just be like hi you know if I need that maybe not be mad at me when I'm not available to answer the phone because I'm dealing with some right. shit right. you know so right. so right. successful relationships to me just just look as simple as reciprocity it's it's about because you're taking that time to know a person mm-hmm. and knowing what they need. Whether it's a friendship, whether it's it's family, whether it's a romantic relationship, you're taking that time to know what that person needs. So at the at the end of the day, help help provide them that, and and I'm gonna do the same for I you. I agree with that. I agree with that, and I think you kind of woke me up a little bit in that response. It is being truly intentional on serving the other person. Mm-hmm. I think a healthy relationship friendship romantic relationship it is or family member you are genuinely intentional about how you care for that person and how you care for that person look it could be a a multitude of ways but it's your intention to be good to them Mm -hmm. no matter what to put them in good places to make them feel loved to make them feel cared for your intention is to wake, like my intention is to wake up and serve. It's not about me. It's truly about serving others. And so if you go into relationships like that and your intentions are well and you mean well, to your point, reciprocity, mm-hmm. you want that in return. And that's a healthy, that's a healthy relationship, especially if, if two people can commit to that. Yeah. Now, now mm-hmm. what, what I do struggle with is this, is this next point that I got on the article that, I know I want reciprocity. <laughs> I don't necessarily know how to communicate the reciprocity. Like if somebody is doing some stuff, like mm, I don't like that shit. Let me let me talk about it. Cause I cause good example. I had somebody give me a whole text. Like I kept. We, I guess we kept missing each other. You know, mm-hmm. in, in conversation, going mm-hmm. back and forth on phone tag. Mm-hmm. So they, they gave me. I'm gonna hit you up later because I didn't appreciate this phone tag going on. Yeah, we don't do that type of energy. yeah. So. <laughs> And so instead of me, instead of me sitting there going all Jared and, and, and having a long text message, I'm like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm going to wait until everything's settled on a process and I'm going to mm-hmm. communicate effectively. But, and we talked about this prior to, to the recording story. So, you know, this part of this article was like, increase your tolerance for difficult conversations. And yes. I don't have a whole lot of tolerance for difficult conversations. So I te- so my conflict style is more so avoidance. You don't have tolerance for difficult conversations, so you'd be like, "Nah, scratch that. We just ain't gonna do it." Like I don't, I don't even got to talk to you. So, everybody, yeah, everybody doesn't deserve a conversation. Mm, mm. 
we're not no if it's especially if it's blatant no right. everybody doesn't deserve a conversation a conversation is to make sure that you and i understand and we're on the same page and there's true alignment where i want true alignment i'll have that healthy conversation in areas where i know i may not be benefiting from that relationship okay <laughs> it's simple as that yeah simple as that I think as humans, we tend to make things more, oh, we, well, we can overcomplicate things. Absolutely. And so I'm doing a better job at getting back to the basics. Mm. If that relationship doesn't feed me, doesn't inspire me, doesn't challenge me, then I pick and choose which, I pick and choose the people in my life that deserve a conversation and you know who they are. And t- nine times out of 10, you rarely, rarely, mm-hmm have conflict yeah so if it's somebody that just over you know they're over overreacted because of phone tag then no stephanie i will not have that conversation <laughs> I, am, I am more prone to chuck the deuces and since i turned 40 jared i'm gonna put this out here since i turned 40 i don't put up with no shit that's what i'm talking about that's what i'm talking about I don't like nobody's shit look look I, look Look, I I put up with a, a lot of shit in my in my thirties, but forties, uh-huh. I, I I just I just look like oh, this is what you this is the energy you mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. I it is as bad as I am at people pleasing. Last three years, I have cut a lot of people off. Yeah, I have, and I, it, and then I and just now I got a couple people that's that's come back like you know I'm sorry for all the wrong I've done. It's, it's cool, <laughs> keep it moving. Like I'm just yeah. like it's almost like that whole thing. Like I was, you know, you be prepared for it. You're like, hey. I can I I can love you from a distance. Yeah, because you're not good for me. Yeah. You're no good for me. And I go a step further. You chose the side. Yeah, stay over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the way I'm rolling. Twenty. Uh, ever since I turned forty, I have zero tolerance to persuade anyone, to convince you, or to help you. I'm not helping you understand anything because at this point, we all in our forties. Exactly. Exactly. And either you know how to communicate or you know what I'm expecting or you don't. Or you don't. It's okay. It's okay if you don't. Yeah. But stay over there. <laughs> <laughs> do do you do you care if like when you when you getting removing a toxic family member from your situation from, from your situation? Do you do you care if they take it personally? <laughs> I want you to take it personal, because let me tell you something. My family knows I have zero tolerance for BS, okay? And I have, people are going to continue to abuse you as long as you submit yourself to it. So once I get to a point where I have, my block game is heavy, once I go there, I don't care how you take it. (laughs) I don't. Because you knew, you know who you're playing with. You know who you're dealing with. And you know, I don't do it. I don't do BS. I don't do drama. I don't do no nonsense. I'm no nonsense. Mm. And so you bring nonsense to me. And, and then before I get there, I've had a conversation with you. And you're not you're not taking it. You know what I'm saying? You're not digesting it. You're not processing it. And you're not respecting me. And I've said, I don't like this. I don't like the way this makes me feel. So if I've had that conversation and you continue to behave the way you choose, I'm going to block and I'm going to keep going. And I don't care how you feel. I feel you. I feel you. I feel you. That's creating a healthy distance, and that was the that was the last point in this article. But what mm-hmm. I, th- I think I want to do is I want to make that almost the the I have a I have a thing that I do the, the last segment of the show. 
Uh-huh. It's called it's about damn time. And where I'm going to ask my guest, you, Stephanie uh-huh. Perkins, okay, what is it about damn time for people to start doing to have create healthy distance with toxic family members? It's about damn time for people to choose themselves. Life is but a moment. You cannot spend your life in unhealthy relationships. You can't spend your life wandering or trying to appease people. Those that are meant to be in your life will be. Those that are showing you different energy or giving you or or making it challenging to be in the space with them, those are not your people. And I don't care if they birthed you or if if they raised you. As you get older and mature, you start to look at things differently and what matters most to you. And 99.9%, some of the BS that we go through don't even matter. And so once you, it's it's about time for people to hold themselves accountable and start choosing themselves. I stay on do not disturb 99.9% of the time, Jared. And I'm like, and I love it because I really have to, for Stephanie, Mm-hmm. I have to create a space where I can think. I have to create a space where I feel calmness because I know I have triggers. I know I grew up on survival. I know these things about me. So I can't allow anybody to come in my life to disrupt anything that I may have going on. And so whether it's nicely saying, hey, I'm not going to be able to talk to you anymore or whether it's no conversation at all and I just hit the block button and I move forward. However that, whatever that looks like or however I get there to make sure my synergy is peaceful at all times, I'm going to do it. And nobody is worth that. Nobody is worth you losing sleep. Nobody is worth you not being able to eat or, you know, the heartache and all the different disappointments that we may feel when we set expectations on people and they can't deliver. Like, no, remove the expectations and start choosing yourself. I love it. Yo, this has been great. This has been a great conversation. Awesome. Look, I think I think you've helped me, you know, start to start to, you know, let me make me a list of some toxic people that I got going on. Just, you know, I'm going to apply the Stephanie Perkins, uh, you know, method in order to knock it on out and, and, and get get them people up out of here. So I love it. I love everything. Stephanie, you have anything that you want to plug? You want to plug your social media? Because people are going to hear this conversation and they, they, they have questions for you. So if they if they want to reach out to you or connect with you, how could they do so? I'm on Instagram at i.am.stephaniep and Stephanie Perkins on Facebook or Stephanie Perkins on LinkedIn. Oh, on LinkedIn. Connect with her because she is a constant professional. Like I'm, I probably need to hit her up after, you know, after this show and start talking to her about some professional, you know, stuff because they have to be doing some things. Like, you know, she she is a veteran of the game and she know how to do it. I'm telling you. Steph, Thank you so much. I appreciate everything. I appreciate you. Thank you for coming on. For sure. Anytime. Let me know if we're going to talk about something else. We can. All right. Thank you for joining me this week on this About Damn Time. Hey, if you like what you heard, follow this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and IG, and join the conversation on this week's episode. Link to all my socials in the show notes. You can also show love by simply giving me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, for more blogs, pods, and other digital content, go to thewholedamnshow.com. Until next time, I'll see you next week.